Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anish Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about kidney cancer with Dr. David Braun. Dr. Braun is an assistant professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. David, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually uh, new to the Connecticut area. I'm a physician scientist. And really, my focus has been on kidney cancer. That's both in the clinic, where I see patients with a variety of different types of kidney cancer, including advanced kidney cancers. And then I spend a large portion of my time in the laboratory as well, really trying to understand this disease and think of are there new approaches, particularly using the immune system itself, immunotherapies, to try to uh, attack and tackle kidney cancer. Wow, there's a there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. So maybe we'll start off with kind of a bigger understanding of kidney cancer in general, especially because Kidney Cancer Awareness Month is coming up. And a lot of us might not be very familiar with kidney cancer. We hear a lot about breast cancer and colon cancer and lung cancer, but we don't really hear a whole lot about kidney cancer. So tell us a little bit more about it. How common is it? Who gets affected by it? And why should we care? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, a lot of the time when people think about cancers, they think about the really common types, unfortunately, breast cancer and colon cancer and lung cancer. But kidney cancer still affects a a very large number of people. So just in the U.S., each year, there's about 75,000 people that will be diagnosed with kidney cancer. And unfortunately, even with our advancements in medicines and new types of therapies, still nearly 15,000 people a year will die from kidney cancer. And so really, is an important and impactful illness that that really needs to be addressed. In terms of who it can affect, the short answer is anyone. It does have a little bit of a preference for certain ages and these sorts of things, but uh, really can affect people across the spectrum. If we say what is the sort of most common person who might get it, it does have a uh, a slight increase in men versus women. So about uh, twice as many men will get kidney cancer as as women. Um, And then it does tend to affect people who are a little bit on the older side. So the median age would be in the 60s. And uh, it can be anywhere, though, from you know people that are in their 80s and 90s and beyond. And unfortunately, it can happen in the other direction as well, where I've had patients in their 30s or 40s who have been diagnosed. And so it really can affect a really wide uh, range of ages, but typically in that early 60s range. Cool. And so, you know, just while you're talking about kidney cancers and and age groups, some people may have heard about kidney cancers occurring in pediatric patients, in children, things like, you know, Wilms tumors and uh, nephroblastomas. Talk about how that is different from what I think you're talking about in terms of kidney cancers in adults. Absolutely. Um, so by and large, there's very rare exceptions to this, but for the va- vast majority of cases, the kidney cancers that occur in adults are completely different biologically. They they start in a different way, they function in a different way, and they're treated in a different way than kidney cancers, kidney tumors that might occur 
uh, in kids. Again, there's uh, very slight exceptions to that, but I think as a general rule, the the group of kidney cancers or kidney tumors that might occur in kids are really a, a almost different disease bucket, a completely different entity than the ones that occur in adults. Okay. So I, I just wanted to kind of get that out uh, at the top, uh, simply so that uh, our audience really knows that we're, we're talking about what in medical lingo is is known as a renal cell carcinoma for the most part. Uh, is that right? Absolutely. That's exactly right. The, the technical term is renal cell carcinoma, and that's a group of kidney cancers that happen uh, for adult patients. And it actually encompasses a whole range of diseases, including significantly more common ones, but also rare types of kidney cancer as well. But that is the a good general term to describe the this bucket of illnesses. And so, you know, when you say that everybody can get this, I'm sure that people are wondering, you know, are there things that can increase your risk or decrease your risk? So, you know, oftentimes we're asked, well, does smoking increase my risk of kidney cancer? Does alcohol consumption increase my risk? What about occupational hazards, environmental risks? Tell us more about that. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the short answer is we don't have the same association between kidney cancer and certain risk factors like lung cancer has with smoking. So, you know, lung cancer, there's a really huge increase with with smoking. Um, for kidney cancer, there are things that uh, change the likelihood by relatively small amounts. So people who have inflammatory conditions of the kidney and these sorts of things do increase it by a small amount. There's similarly these rare cases of exposures, military exposures that have sort of been associated with these clusters of kidney cancers. But the true answer is those tend to be the exception more so than the rule. Um, in general, for most patients, kidney cancers tend to be sporadic. Again, there's always exceptions to this. There's sometimes genetics might play a role. Kidney cancers can run in the family. There's particular types of hereditary cancer syndromes. There's, again, these histories of particular exposures or things that might make a difference, truthfully, around the margins. But by and large, these sporadic kidney cancers that occur are, are really... Uh, uh, there's not a, a huge association between that and uh, particular modifiable lifestyle factors. Um, and so I think the general advice I would have is, you know, the things that are good for your heart and your health overall are, are probably good for your cancer as well. And so I encourage patients, you know, to have a well-balanced diet. Uh, I encourage patients to, uh, you know, uh, engage in regular exercise, these sorts of things, because that's good for someone's overall health. But in terms of particular risk factors for kidney cancers, it probably makes less of an impact. So, so really, you know, getting kidney cancer is really a matter of just bum bad luck. Somebody's got to get it. And so, you know, people who get it kind of get it is basically what you're telling us. They're, the, the, the risk factors that you can really modify are few and far between. I think that's absolutely right. And I think, honestly, that's something I highlight to my patients as well, because sometimes people come in and there's almost a sense of guilt. What could I have done differently to have not gotten this this illness? Um, and the short answer is this is just terrible luck that we don't fully understand yet, um, but that it's not something where there is a, a clear modifiable thing that someone could have done to prevent it. And so, David, given the fact that, you know, kidney cancers aren't something that we often think about top of mind in terms of the, the more common cancers and the fact that it can affect almost anybody who has a kidney, which is pretty much everybody. 
tell us about how you would pick this up. I mean, there there doesn't seem to be any real screening tests for kidney cancer like there is for breast cancer or colorectal cancer. Um, so what signs or symptoms should people be looking for and seeking attention for that might lead to a diagnosis of kidney cancer? It's a, it's a wonderful question. And I think the first thing I'd address is maybe the screening aspect that, you know, I think that's an area of active investigation and we hopefully will do better. We need to do better, but we're, we're really not there yet. And there's many research groups, wonderful research groups that have are working on this, the idea, can we have a blood-based test or something where we'd be able to pick up kidney cancer uh, at an earlier stage? But uh, we'll have to make sure that we rigorously test those and and uh, see how those perform in those coming years, because that would be a wonderful tool to have. But you're absolutely right. Right now, what is the way that we would pick up kidney cancer? It's something I would call clinically. It was, uh, a patient comes with particular signs or symptoms or incidentally, meaning people are having an evaluation for another purpose, and this happens to just be found. So I would say historically, there's a, a group of symptoms that a patient might experience that have been associated with kidney cancer. There's a sort of classic symptoms of blood in the urine, of having flank pain, pain towards the side or the back where the kidney tumor is. Um, these sorts of uh, symptoms actually occurred a really a minority of patients that, you know, the, the group of patients really experiencing all of these constellation of symptoms is probably less than one out of 10. And so I would say a, a few things. One is a large proportion are actually picked up incidentally. So people have back pain or some other issue, stomach pains, totally unrelated to the kidney cancer, and they have a CAT scan or an MRI and the kidney cancer is just picked up incidentally. That's sort of one group of patients. The second group of patients are ones I would say have uh, something I would term local symptoms, meaning symptoms that they'd experience because of the kidney tumor itself. So there are patients that experience, for instance, blood in the urine that they can actually see. If anyone sees that, that's something that's a, a definitely good idea to talk to your doctor about and to pursue an evaluation for if there's ever blood in the urine. Sometimes that's really blood that you can see. Sometimes people have a urine test for another reason and there's microscopic blood. That too should be evaluated more thoroughly. It can sometimes cause pain in the area or discomfort. These kidney tumors, you know, for some patients, they're they're totally asymptomatic, but for some, they can grow to a size where they actually cause bloating or, or discomfort. Um, and so any of those things that happen because of just where the kidney tumor itself, itself is, either pain or bloating or even blood in the urine, that's a second uh, group of patients I would call the local symptoms. And the final group, which is less common but can occur, are what I would call systemic symptoms. And what I mean by that is uh, it's not related to the position of the kidney tumor itself, but the kidney cancer can sometimes produce factors and things in the body that just make people generally feel unwell. They might experience fevers or weight loss, uh, sweats during the night, things that are not sort of accounted for for other reasons. Again, less common, but some patients really can present with those systemic symptoms. And so that's a, a that's a, a lot of things. And so I would say uh, my my sort of general approach to these things are there's certain things like blood in the urine. I really think of 
getting an evaluation with your doctor, I think that's that's always a good idea. For things that are, you know, more common, aches and pains, things that we, we're all going to experience in our lives, uh, the sort of rule I have is everyone's entitled to those aches and pains, but if there's something that's unusually severe, you know, it's not, not something that feels like you've had in the past, it really is more severe in terms of its intensity, or it's lasting longer than you think it should. You know, you've had back pain in the past and it comes and goes. This is kind of there and it's really lingering for quite a while. Those are, are you know, maybe a little bit of a red flag that's time to go see your doctor and, and get an evaluation. Yeah. Especially because some of these things like, you know, having a little bit of blood in the urine and a little bit of flank pain, most people would think of a kidney stone rather than a a kidney tumor and me say, well, you know, I've had kidney stones in the past. And so this is just yet another bout. Speaking of which, though, does having a history of kidney stones increase your risk of developing kidney cancer? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say anything that can cause inflammation in the kidney, in theory, can create an environment that's uh, more susceptible to developing kidney cancer. And so, you know, on a routine basis, someone who gets the stone here or there, you know, probably doesn't have that much of a different risk. Uh, unfortunately, some patients who really get uh, a lot of uh, effects of that kidney stone, those blockages and infections and recurrent inflammation, uh, those probably do have a slightly higher risk just because of that uh, inflammation within the kidney. It sort of creates an environment that's more permissive to developing a kidney cancer. And so, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, the, the kind of, you know, a little bit of flank pain, maybe a little bit of blood in the urine in a minority of cases, maybe, you know, uh, a little bit of aches and pains. One thinks that, you know, without something that is rip-roaring, uh, you know, alarm bell ringing, many of these patients are either going to be picked up incidentally on a CAT scan that they're having for another reason, or uh, it may be delayed. And so that brings us to the question of, what is the stage distribution of kidney cancers when they present? So that is to say, are most of these cancers picked up late simply because there is no alarm bell ringing symptoms that cause people to seek medical advice sooner? It's a good question. I think something that's evolving and, and really changing over time because things like CAT scans are, are more common now, either for other reasons that are unrelated to the kidney cancer or because people do have that twinge of pain or have blood in the urine and they see their doctor and appropriately they say, let's, let's get a CAT scan to evaluate. I think things are being picked up earlier and earlier. And so the majority of kidney cancers, which is good news, are picked up at a localized stage, at a, a stage where they're confined to the kidney and where surgery can be performed or other, there's other methods as well. But basically that single tumor can be can be addressed and in most cases eliminated and that's that's wonderful news that being said you know there are still that group of patients that we don't have great screening for and that uh, don't have any warning signs early on and by the time that you know really symptoms develop it is at a more advanced stage and while that's the minority of patients at this point it is still a sizable fraction um, and so something that uh, I think motivates our, our need to really do better in terms of coming up with better screening tests. And so we're going to pick up the conversation learning more about the research that's evolving in terms of screening and treatment right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about kidney cancer with my guest, Dr. David Braun. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital. 
where the Breast Cancer Prevention Clinic provides comprehensive risk assessment, education, and screening for women at increased risk of breast cancer. To learn more, visit YaleCancerCenter.org genetics. Over 230,000 Americans will be diagnosed with lung cancer this year, and in Connecticut alone, there will be over 2,700 new cases. More than 85% of lung cancer diagnoses are related to smoking, and quitting, even after decades of use, can significantly reduce your risk of developing lung cancer. Each day, patients with lung cancer are surviving thanks to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. New treatment options and surgical techniques are giving lung cancer survivors more hope than they have ever had before. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the BATTLE-2 trial at Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital, to learn if a drug or combination of drugs based on personal biomarkers can help to control non-small cell lung cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. David Braun. We're learning about the care of patients with kidney cancer in advance of Kidney Cancer Awareness Month. And right before the break, you know, David, you were telling us a, a bit about kidney cancers and the fact that almost anybody uh, is at risk of, of developing kidney cancers. But uh, you did mention a few things that I think uh, were really interesting in terms of where the science is going in terms of picking up cancers earlier and treating them perhaps more effectively. So tell us a little bit more about some of the research that's ongoing that will help us to find kidney cancers early. Absolutely. And so there's really, I think, dramatic advances that are being made, both in terms of research into screening and then ultimately, which is a huge focus of mine, treatment, uh, unfortunately, for patients who do develop more advanced disease where a surgery is not possible or not effective. What are the treatments available? In terms of screening, you know, historically, a lot of the screening that's been done for many types of cancer has been imaging-based. There's some sort of picture that's taken, whether that's a form of an X-ray like a mammogram or whether that's a CT scan at low doses like they uh, have available for lung cancer. And so that's one bucket that people have looked at and are continuing to look at, even simple tools like ultrasound, whether that might be helpful in terms of uh, really picking up kidney cancer, particularly in certain populations. That being said, you know, I, I am not as optimistic that we're going to really have a pure imaging-based solution. And that's where some of the research into uh, what I would call blood tests as a general bucket is really, really exciting. We know that cancers, even at an early stage, sometimes shed some of their blueprints, shed some of their DNA into the bloodstream. Very, very small amount, and kidney cancer in particular actually sheds less of this DNA than a lot of other tumor types, but it still does shed some, some DNA. And so the question is, can we actually use new and advanced methods of picking up that needle in a haystack, that little bit of shed DNA from a tumor, uh, and being able to identify it in a patient with an early stage kidney cancer. But they're still at the research phase. They're not the phase where they've been proven to really uh, be effective in a large group of patients of picking it up. But I still think there's room there for cautious optimism. The second buck I'll just mention briefly is we know that uh, 
cancer in general and kidney cancer is no exception can alter patients metabolism in subtle ways the the makeup of you know simple things amino acids and fats in our in our bloodstream and so another area of investigation that uh you know number of groups, including our own, has been involved in is saying, can we actually pick up on those subtle changes in the metabolites that might be present in a patient's blood and see if that can help us actually distinguish patients with even an early stage cancer from patients who don't have cancer. And so, again, uh, uh, exciting sort of areas of investigation, but nothing where we have a test today or tomorrow that can say this is a good test for screening for kidney cancer. You know, the kidney is one of these organs that is one would think would be particularly ripe for for screening um, in the sense that it generates urine. So uh, are there urine-based tests uh, that are being looked at for uh, screening and early detection, um, or is it all blood-based? No, it's a wonderful point. And so uh, essentially everything I said that was applied to blood-based tests, uh, people are looking at within the urine as well to see, you know, is there DNA that shed that can be picked up in the urine? It turns out, at least our early experiences, it seems like it's a little bit more tricky. For whatever reason, it tends to be shed a little bit less in the urine than uh, the blood, even though it's not very prevalent in the blood either. Um, that being said, I think that's an area for continued investigation. The one urine test, which is an old one, but still a tried and true, is if there is blood that's picked up on a urine test, even microscopic blood, that's something that's uh, certainly worthwhile to have evaluate more fully because that can be an early sign of, of, of something going on within the kidney or, or other areas within that, that tract, that urinary tract. Perfect. You know, I, I always like to think about urine tests uh, just in case there are people out there who don't particularly love needles, uh, even though the, the tests that we get for blood tests are a small needle, but some of us are still a little gun shy. No, totally um, understandable. <laughs> So, so you know, we, we kind of left off the conversation before the break at, you know, detecting uh, kidney cancers. Tell us what the state of the art is at the moment in terms of how effective treatments are for kidney cancers. I mean, it's great that most of them are picked up at a local stage. Um, so how are they treated? Is this just uh, surgery or, or do people need radiation and systemic therapy like chemotherapy as well? It's it's a great question. And the the short answer really depends on where it is. And so anytime there's a, a patient that I meet that's diagnosed with a new cancer, I always ask three fundamental questions. What is it? Where is it? And what are we going to do about it? And that's where the treatment comes in. And so the what is it is what type of kidney cancer? We have much more common types like clear cell kidney cancer that account for about 80%, but there's also less common types, these variant histologies that have unique biologies that we need to understand that sometimes might affect treatment in certain ways. The next big question is where is it? And that that really ties in with the stage and the prognosis. And that's uh, ultimately what will help to determine the treatment. And so patients who have an early stage kidney cancer, uh, stage one or stage two, those are ones where treatments that that tumor itself, usually surgery, though there's emerging roles for other techniques like ablation or even radiation as well. But for the majority of patients, surgery to remove that kidney tumor is highly, highly effective. And patients with uh, uh, early stage kidney cancer who have surgery, the far majority of those patients are cured with surgery alone. 
The second bucket are patients that have what I would term locally advanced or locally aggressive disease. That's that's kidney cancer that's still within the kidney itself. It hasn't spread far, but maybe it's starting to go into a little bit of a blood vessel or surrounding area, um, or it has features under the microscope that look really aggressive. Still, the mainstay of treatment for that is surgery, and that's that's curative for a large number of patients. But unfortunately, there are still a number of patients who after surgery will have the disease come back. And so there haven't been great tools in terms of being able to help prevent it from coming back, like radiation after surgery or chemotherapy. Just now in the last really year, we're beginning to have some evidence that actually immunotherapy might help to decrease the risk of it coming back. It still needs a little bit of longer follow-up, but that's that's actually uh, has led to the FDA approval of one of these immunotherapy drugs for exactly this purpose. Those patients with kind of a higher risk local kidney cancer that's removed by surgery, can they get another medicine, an immunotherapy to help decrease the chance of it coming back? And the last, the last group of patients, and this is largely the group of patients that I see, are unfortunately those with advanced or metastatic disease. It's kidney cancer that's either spread to different areas at the beginning or started off in the kidney and recurred or came back later at different parts of the body. And so at that point, uh, in general, with, with some exceptions, but in general, those are patients that are not cured by surgery alone. And that's where we really think of medicines, systemic therapy as the, the really the mainstay of treatment. Now, what are those medicines? Kidney cancer has really, uh, by and large, not been historically responsive to the conventional chemotherapies we think of, the stuff that, you know, come through the IV that we think make people feel really sick. Those are things that, you know, for, for the majority of kidney cancers, again, small, rare exceptions here, but for the majority, they're just not effective. And so there's been two big waves of treatment for kidney cancer. The first wave, which started around 15 years ago, were a group of medicines, mostly pills, but there's other IV form as well that helped to block new blood vessel formation, so-called anti-angiogenics. Those were really effective for a while. They, they truthfully didn't really cure patients. They, for the far majority, they didn't get rid of it, but they provided a treatment that could at least keep the kidney cancer at bay for some amount of time and went from having very little in the way of treatment to actually being able to uh, keep the disease under control for some amount of time. So that was a really important and exciting advance. What I think has been transformative really over the last five or so years has has been the, the introduction of this next generation of immune therapy. There's actually an older form of immune therapy that was used 20 or 30 years ago, which, you know, uh, actually had some favorable responses for a very small group of patients, maybe five or 7%. But with this new wave of immune therapy, um, these so-called immune checkpoint inhibitors, uh, it's, I think, really marked an inflection point for kidney cancer, where there's a group of patients now, and unfortunately, it's still not the majority, but a growing group of patients who really get a tremendous benefit. And when I say that, it's not just that it shrinks the cancer by a little bit or, or leads to survival for some amount of time, but there's certain patients, again, uh, unfortunately still a small fraction, but a, a notable fraction where this, these drugs can actually work for a really, really long time. And so I think we're at this important moment in kidney cancer where we now have these tools that are almost proof of concept, that for a small group of patients, we're able to really, really, really good job of uh, controlling their cancer, and for some of those actually doing so for a really long time, uh, really these long-term durable kind of can cancer control. But there's still a large group of patients, unfortunately, probably still the majority of patients with advanced disease for which these, 
this long-term control, this long-term benefit is not there. And so it's this proof of concept, we can do it, uh, but we need to figure out how to do it for more people. And that's why I think the research is so important. Well, and the, the other question uh, that springs to mind is, can you identify which patients are going to do well with immunotherapy and which patients are not? Absolutely. I think that's a, an, a critical, critical question. I think you really hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, I think for patients who are getting immunotherapy, we, we really need to study this. We need to understand who are the patients that really do well in wine, who are the patients for which the therapy fails them, that doesn't have the benefit it should, uh, and, and what's happening biologically then. And I think that gives us two pieces of information. One is exactly what you're talking about, which is the sort of term biomarker. Can we actually help to select patients and select drugs, meaning we match the right drug with the right patient? Um, that's a really important sort of goal of some of this work. The other bucket is, can we actually understand why certain tumors are resistant? And if we have that understanding, then in, in our laboratory, can we actually think of strategies, ways to overcome that resistance and bring benefit to more patients? Dr. David Braun is an assistant professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.